Thanks for listening to the First Presbyterian Church of San Francisco Sermon Podcast. We pray it is a blessing to you and that it brings glory to our Heavenly Father. You can learn more about us by visiting us online. Just go to www.firstpresbyteriansf.org. Peter turned and saw the disciple that Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? If it is my will that he remain until I come, Jesus said to him, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread around among the brother, brothers that this disciple was not to die, but Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die. But if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things. And we know that his testimony is true. Now, there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose the world itself could not contain the books that would be written down. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, welcome, uh, welcome to uh, our, our 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 worship tonight, today, and I want to want to let you know this is the this is our last, this is our concluding message on the Book of John, and it has been a a, a sweet journey for me and a, a, a rich one. And uh, and I am loath to leave the Book of John. So, but I but it, it, all the good things must come to an end. So we're coming down to the very end here, and uh, I wanted to talk about by the, the Bible's authority and infallibility, the authority and infallibility of the Bible. And one of the things that provoked this was a commentary that I was reading on this text. And but what even provoked it further was I, I happened to come across a New York great New York Times article this week. It's, it's worth reading, uh, and it, it, it's uh, it was about uh, the uncovering of a manuscript, you know, a manuscript. This is a manuscript that was actually debunked in 1883. By 1883, it had been uncovered, it had been uncovered and brought to the attention of scholars by um, by a, a, an antiquities dealer uh, from Jerusalem. And it's called the Moabite Manuscript. It's 15 fragments of the book of Deuteronomy. And it was, and, and when it was evaluated by the leading experts of the day, it was quickly, very quickly debunked. Not even for what it said, but for, uh, for practical reasons, for its scripting, for the way the pages were cut, uh, uh, even details of how the, how the pages lay out and everything. Uh, and it was deemed a forgery quickly, and the manuscript subsequently was auctioned off for a pittance and, and disappeared. Well, recently, in, in the last uh, five to ten, five years or so, uh, a, a scholar from the University of Potsdam, uh, Eden Dershowitz, uh, an a, uh, Israeli-American uh, scholar, uh, has reinvestigated the document. You see, we have copies. Here's a, here's a picture of one of, of, one of the copies. Uh, of, of a copy that was made uh, of the original. And his examination was intrigued. 
and and has advanced now and advanced recently at a symposium at Harvard his his conviction his his uh, his idea that perhaps just maybe this is really not was not a forgery and perhaps it was a glimpse into the earliest days of the Bible and uh, and he was excited by the prospect because in this version of Deuteronomy that was that was debunked before uh, the Ten Commandments weren't weren't present. Even some of the sexual purity laws are not there, and uh, and and so uh, and he's making a name for himself, and that's why. I, and I I I mean, he got the article in New York Times, and I'm not saying that to, to to disrespect him even, but this is what you do in academics. You you have to get something novel or new or interesting in order to distinguish yourself from the thousands upon thousands of scholars that there are. And uh, and I and I find it, a, it, it peculiar that he would he would uh, do this because no no comp no original copy of this manuscript exists today. So what this is is speculation on top of speculation uh, about a forgery. But the interesting thing with reading it, it, it's a good article. It, it, it talks it walks through some of the scholarly questions involved, and uh, and I. Uh, but one of the most interesting things to me was in the comments. The New York Times has a bunch of comments, and people were so delighted by this discovery. You could you're reading it, and they were saying, "Oh, you know," and, and there was a there was a sense of anticipation that maybe we could discover some purer version of the Bible that got rid of the the parts we don't like. <laughs> now, this is a this is an ancient practice, by the way. For thousands of years, people have been going to the scriptures. To, to, to divide them, to break them, to, 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 to rip them apart, to, to claim their forgeries, to claim that they're false, to claim that this is right and this isn't, to divide them and corrupt them. In fact, it happened so early, it happened in Rome in AD 150, if you can believe it. For, so for literally thousands of years now, this has been a recurring theme. And, uh, and I, I, I feel, you know, I, I get, I get, rather excited about this too this is uh, this is something we need to talk about we need to hear about because in the most common if you were to go to the history channel or just talk to a man on the street they would simply they would regurgitate some of this idea that the bible is simply uh, can't be trusted that it really is not uh, it's an ancient document of dubious origin and even more dubious claims but what we found it what's interesting about this Beginning with Marcy and all the way to Edon Dershowitz in, in, in this day, men have taken their attack on the Bible. Like it's, it's like a, they've t- swung their, their hammers. And uh, a famous, a very famous, famous scholar, uh, E.J. Young, said they, they, they swing their hammers against the Scripture. But the Scripture is like an anvil. And if you, an anvil that sits in, a, in, in, the, in the shop of a, of, a, of, a, of a blacksmith is hammered all day long. For years, upon years, that hammer, that anvil sees the hammer. And on that anvil, metal is bent and twisted and tortured and shaped and, 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 and hit. But the anvil never shaped, never gets misshapen. The anvil doesn't even bear a mark. The anvil remains unchanged as thing, as item after item is 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 molten and hammered on its surface. And that's what the Bible is like. That's what God's word is like. And 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 there will be challenges yet again. You believe you me, 
Long after I'm dead, there'll be more challenges to the scripture. And I want to teach you today. I want to invite you today to, 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 to trust the Bible's authority and infallibility. Because there are, it's a wonderful gift to us. And, and this is really going to be the theme today. And, and, I, and, and, I, and we'll see here, because of the Bible's authority and infallibility, and if Bible's authority and infallible, infallibility claims these are facts, we can place our faith confidently in Jesus. So we're going to look at first at how these are eyewitness facts. And after that, I want to take that argument and say, okay, not only the Bible's authority and infallibility doesn't just claim these are facts. This authority and infallibility is designed to exalt, and I mean magnify, I mean make awesome the name of Jesus the Christ. And once you understand that, Things kind of open up from there. And finally, because the Bible's authority and infallibility is not, these are big words. I, I say authority, infallibility, inerrancy, perspicuity. There's all these words, theological words about the Bible. But really what that is about is the first the psalm we opened up with. Because the needy groan, I will now arise, says the Lord. Because the words of God are pure. And, and the, the idea here is that the authority and infallibility of our of our Bibles is, is, is so precious to us because it tells us we can be sure of his love. We can be certain that his love is for us and that the promise of his love is secure when we are the most destroyed, when we are the most doubtful, when we are the most fearful. And so it's not meant to be an abstract teaching. So that's, that's, that's the plan of attack. And our first point here is because the Bible's authority and infallibility claims that these are facts, we can place our faith confidently in Jesus. And I, I want to, I wanna, this is an interesting twist in, this, in the text here. Take a look here. You know, take a look at the language of the text. And, and I want to I I evaluate the Bible. I invite you to evaluate the Bible on its own merits. And, and on its own statements about itself. You see, the scriptures are self-reflective. They, uh, they, they, they actually speak about themselves, oddly enough. They, they invite, and, and different part, we'll see some of those texts today. But to take a look here at the very end, the disciple who's bearing witness about these things. Witness. This is a word you have heard before, by the way, in Greek. It is the word martyr. Now, in martyr in English, uh, a martyr is not a witness anymore. And a martyr in English is somebody who dies for what they believe. It's somebody who uh, suffers for some, some, some belief that they have, and they become a martyr. But the, that, be, that was a meaning that came after. That was a meaning that came after the original meaning of witness. Now, and the idea here is that these men are claiming and they are actually presenting to you eyewitness accounts, eyewitness accounts of what happened, and 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 so I, I and and we know this testimony is not only just a personal eyewitness, it is a we eyewitness, and this we has been speculated upon by a number of interpreters. Take a look at it. Who's we? the The writer of John has never adopted a plural form. That there's some committee that is writing this, or some group, or some team. And right there it says, we know that his testimony is true. And, and this seems to be the we of the church or the we of all, and maybe even Peter joining in a sense here 
in this testimony as well, because he's the he's the other person that this that the that the wit the disciple who is bearing witness is talking with, talking back and forth with as they walk on the beach with Jesus. If you remember our 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 beautiful beautiful scene, but when I, I this idea of witness, this idea is is, is the Bibles are the Bibles delivering to us. Uh, uh, all the standards of truth that we use to know if things are true in the world. I, there's a wonderful work on this that was done in the earlier part of the century, uh, last century, where, uh, where if you take the four witnesses of the Gospels and the multiple witnesses that they rely upon and claim, and then the witnesses beyond that uh, uh, to the New Testament, and the lack of the hostile witnesses, if you start taking the, if you start accumulating the data, it satisfies the most stringent standards of witness report and evidence in the, in the American judicial system or any judicial system. And this is quite remarkable. And the reason we, we I bring it up is that for some reason, though, people will often not fair, unfairly, I think, uh, will not use uh, will not use the same standards for truth that they use in their own personal life or professional life or our social life as a culture, and and those very standards are not used for the scripture, are not used for the witness of Christ's death and resurrection from the dead. Instead, other witness. Well, I want I want to prove. I want I want some sort of tangible physical proof when we have been delivered these witnesses of these people, men and women from the first century. But I know what your answer is to this. I very suspect I know what your response would be. As an enlightened modern, you would think, well, wait a second, Chris, I am not a gullible ancient. Aren't these possibly exaggerations? Aren't these men who believed in myths and things like that? And, and after all, why? what if they just made it all up? But I, I, I want to I tell you, though, I want to I encourage you that that just isn't intellectually honest. It isn't intellectually honest. Because even the most hostile reader of the New Testament, who thinks it's a load of hooey, is still, again and again across history, they will remark about the beauty of its moral teaching, the breadth of its beautiful, of, the, of its narration and picture. It's just an amazing book. And in general, Liars and gullible fools don't write works of wisdom and beauty. It just doesn't work like that. We don't have any record of that in our history at all. And so it's, it's just, so the, the, it doesn't work. It's not intellectually fair. But I know and nothing's going to convince you other than, other, than, uh, <laughs> uh, other than I think Christ himself convincing you and the Holy Spirit doing so. In other words, a, a spiritual event's going to have to happen here in my words or, or in your life and in your heart for this truth to become real. But I, I, I guess the reason I bring this up at first is the way, this, the way this is being written here in chapter 21, verses 24 and following, these, these few verses, is you're not, inv invitation to trust in Jesus. And you hear me talk about this all the time, inviting you, put your faith in Jesus. An invitation to trust in Jesus is not a blind leap in the dark. And for some reason, that's become a familiar characterization of what it means to have faith in this age. Because we are the age of rationality and science. And after all, a religious conviction could be nothing more than a blind, grasping, feeble, hopeful, 
deluded, perhaps, attempt. But that is not at all what we've been invited into. We've been invited to analyze, to evaluate, to take a look and see, do these witnesses meet the criterion? And they will. Oh, trust me, they will. I was uh, this, uh, however hostile you might be, one of my favorite books about the Bible is something called The Case for Christ. And I, I just encouraged uh, Yao Lee this week. I think it was Yao Lee. Oh, it was Sharon. It was Sharon this week to, to, for her to, to use this with a friend of hers. Because it was written by a, uh, a, a reporter for the Chicago Sun-Times. And uh, his wife became a Christian back in the 80s. And she had become a Christian in the 1980s. And her husband, a reporter, was outraged, concerned, alarmed that his wife had fallen for a foolish message. How could a modern, intelligent person be a Christian? So he set out with all the alacrity and passion and, and, and investigatory acumen of a reporter to, to show her what a, what a foolish thing it was to believe these things. His name was Lee Strobel, and uh, he became a Christian. He became a Christian because any sincere, intellectually honest investigation of these events will, at the very least, leave going, I... I don't know what to think now, because the claims are that good. So why do I take the time to do all this? Why do I take the time to present this to you? Because I want you to get bold again. I want you to be bold, and I want to be bold too. Be bold with me in, in comfort and, and in confidence that, that, we, that we believe something demonstrably, arguably true. Not merely the realm of some fairy tale in any way. And, 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 it's, and, and it has a breadth and, 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 and the fulfillment of prophecy across thousands of years and the wisdom in the text itself and the wonders of its narratives. It's just, it, it cannot and will never be controverted. The Bible's authority and infallibility itself claims that these are eyewitnesses to the facts. And I guess I just want you to, to get up and get bold. You know, but I'll tell you, it's funny. There, there's also that I want you to also be humble. You know, sometimes when Christians get this teaching, they can get all fired up and like to go around and beat up people with it, kind of beat people over the head with their, with their Bibles, maybe. And you can't do that either. There's an old expression in the church uh, that I remember from years ago. Uh, the Bible says it, I believe it, and that settles it. <laughs> you ever heard that? The Bible says it, or what the Bible says it, I believe it, and that settles it. And, you know, on the, on the, on the surface of it, that's a fine thing to say. That, that, that is certainly true. And, and in a sense, you could encapsulate everything I've said and everything I ever will say to be that truth. But we shouldn't talk like that. We should not talk like that. We, ought, we, have, to, we have to be bold and be humble. And even this text is showing us how to be humble. Oh, that's not what I'm going to look at yet. Um, uh, all right. Take a look here. Look here in the text. Now, Christ says this, if it is my will that he remain till I come, Jesus said to him, what is that to you? Now, I'm saying that with the authority and fallibility of scripture, this was definitely fed, said by Jesus and is definitely true. Last week, we saw how it was true. But look at this. The saying spread among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. 
So Jesus did not say to him he was not to die. Now, what's going on there? Just because the Bible is true doesn't mean your interpretation is necessarily true. <laughs> right? And then this is an important principle for us so that we can have a boldness that we have received truth, but we ought to have a humility that we don't always understand or comprehend all of it. And that, and that, and that our, our grasp of it can sometimes be greater or lesser at different times or mistaken. But that doesn't make it not true. But so let every interpretation be held with humility and grace before one another and before the world. But let us at the same time, with the same breath, and with the, out of that humility, go with new boldness to say, I lay claim to these promises is true. And that, that the things said were actually said, and that Christ's resurrection from the dead was attested by numerous witnesses, all of whom could be verified. You know, the story was funny. You go on for that. Those witnesses got no money for what they, what, they, what they claimed. And almost every one of them was killed for what they preached. How could you do that for a con or a lie or an exaggeration or a fairy tale or a myth? No, of course not. They proved in their lives. They became witnesses in the sense of what martyr became later, right? They became martyrs. And that's why witness and martyr... And the idea of dying for the faith and being a witness for the faith became united as one word, you see? That's why they became united as a word. Because to be a witness meant you would be killed for it. If you said that these things were true and that God was true in your life, you would die for that in, that in those days. There may come a day like that again, maybe very soon, who knows? But I want us to, I want us to, to, to rejoice. You know, it's funny. If you're not reading your Bibles, you're out of touch with truth, <laughs> With, 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 with concrete truth. So, re, so be bold. Be bold in your confidence. Be humble in your interpretation. Because we're not asked for a leap in the dark. We're asked to put our faith in a true testimony written by men who cared about what they were writing. Cared about what they said. Let's go on. Because the Bible's authority and infallibility exalts Christ. We can worship him as the living word. So what about this interpretation question I just said? In other words, Chris, is there some way that we can be sure that our interpretations are more accurate? Yes, there is. Yes, there is. And one of the key ways we can do that is by looking for every way that the Bible will exalt Christ. Because Christ is preeminent. He is the beginning of he is the beginning and the end. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the living word itself. Uh, we can worship him as the living word right now. And exalting Christ then becomes an interpretive handle for how we can un understand the Bible itself. In other words, it keeps a, an interpretive grid, a, 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 an interpretive idea that will keep unlocking the Bible and keep showing you things is how it exalts Christ. And this is what, actually what provoked the sermon this week. Um, I've been reading this uh, this commentary. I've been delighted by it. It's, it's, it's excellent. It, it, it's, its scholarship is outstanding. Its 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 insights are. Being, I've shared a number of them with you, and they fed my soul. And I think fed yours. And I really want to bless this man someday if I ever meet him. He's down in L.A. But uh, but uh, but I, I was so disappointed by the end. <laughs> this last verse, then, in the commentators' attitudes, especially in the in the intellectuals of this age. This is viewed as a naive 
afterthought. In fact, it's often viewed that verse 24 and 25, especially verse 25, was simply penned in by some rustic simpleton. Some late, I'm sorry, that's exactly the attitude. And, then, and so he was saying and sharing the, the common consensus among scholars. Because look, look at what he says. Look at what he says. It, it sounds, this is like a child, right? Now, I, now, there are many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose, this is an unusual word in the Bible, actually, because the writers of the Bible don't often talk like this. It's the word I think. I think the world itself couldn't contain the books that would be written. Now, Jesus lived about 33 years. And I don't care how much you've done in your first 33 years. Uh, it, uh, we could write books exhaustively about every minute of your life, and we probably might we might fill a, a house, maybe a neighborhood block, if we really got into detail, had all the receipts, kept everything you ever did. But And so the point is, and the point that he made in his commentary, and he quoted another, other, other famous commentators who, who simply dismissed this. As even though there is not a copy of our New Testament that doesn't have this in it, I, 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 it, it just made me. It was crestfallen. It just broke my heart to read that, because it seemed to me they had missed the interpretive principle. What do I mean by this? What do I, he and and in this moment, I think that that interpreter didn't have Christ big enough. He had not exalted him in his mind, in his consciousness, in his imagination, so that he'd understand the interpretive principle. What do I mean here? Look at this. The last word of the, the last word of John is this word, written, the things that would be written. Now, does anybody remember what word dominates the first chapter of John? I just gave you a hint. It's the word, word. Word. All right, so look. Written and word. It ends with the word written. And this word written, what do you write down? You write down words, right? We all know that. You write down words. But if anybody's paying attention, the writer of John, who we're about to, who we're about to talk about in a minute, this writer of John, who his name's John, this writer of John is wiser than the interpreters were giving him because Jesus is the living word. And that last word written, are you see, it's referring back to John 1, isn't it? Look, in John 1, 1 through 3, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Who is this mysterious Word? It is the, it is the code name to invite you into all the glory and exalting Jesus Christ. He was in the beginning with God. Look at this. All things were made through him. It is estimated the observable universe is 93 billion light years across and some 14 billion years old. Maybe they're wrong. Maybe it's bigger. If you were to write down everything Jesus had ever done, you'd have to write data greater than the universe. You see, the writer of John, in this wonderful homey, and it sounds, I guess, naive, Way talks about you could never write it. It's because he credits Christ with sustaining and creating the universe. You see, he misses it. Christ, Christ's greatness isn't merely constrained to those 33 years. But in those 33 years, we see the greatness and his love and his triumph over thermodynamics, triumph over physics and space-time by rising from the dead and his reversal of what can happen and should happen and cause and effect. 
Mm. He's a mighty God. But you see, you see how beautiful, you see, in the writer of John, John, John's mind, Christ is just that awesome. Of course, you couldn't write it all down. You couldn't fill the world with all the books that would be written about such a God. Now, you need the whole universe to fill enough data to talk about the universe. It makes sense, right? But, but so, so it's, it's, this, it's this exalted God that's so extraordinary. And this is the invitation to worship Christ. In my first church, I want to share this with you. When I, when I first became a pastor, I was 28 years old. I don't know why we give 28-year-olds pastorates. I was, I, was, I was a knucklehead. And I flew that church right to the side of a mountain. I had no idea what I was doing. But in the first couple of years, I, I encountered a crisis almost right away out the gate. That I could not do this ministry. I could not do this work. I floated. I was, I, was, I was worse than I have ever been even since. I was a mess. And something happened. I had read about it. I read about John Calvin, who's a hero of mine, and he had only preached on the Gospels. And I had been warned, don't preach from the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John preach from the other stuff because it's got more data and more interesting information to talk about and more theological ideas. And you'll get a lot of a lot of a lot of mileage out of Romans. And and but and this is what an old preacher told me: if you preach on the Gospels, they tend to be repetitive. It's hard to somehow sometimes mysterious. But I was stubborn and I did it. And I started preaching through the book of Mark and it changed my heart because I, there I encountered the greatness of Jesus. Or, or maybe Jesus revealed his greatness to me. Let's put it that way because it wasn't me. It was Jesus just opening up for a moment, a vision of his wonder, a vision that he is the king of kings, a vision that as even as he walked as a man amongst us, as the son of man, nobody could guess and they would bump up against him and he would say, do you know the kingdom of heaven is near? And I picture all those, all those Palestinian guys all standing around there and the, and the fishermen going, what's he talking about? Where, where, where is it? And there he is, the king of kings at their elbow, rubbing shoulders, right inside their sense of smell. Wonder of wonders, you see. And when they began, to, when they saw that, it blew their minds. And that's why John wrote the things he wrote. So what is this an invitation? Let us worship now with new confidence and seek and seek the endless adventure of a mind that gets Christ greater and bigger. <laughs> to me, to me, it is an exciting time to be interested in astronomy and astrophysics because every day there's this one little uh, website, uh, no, YouTube channel, Anton Petrov is his name, and every day he shares another new insight. And because of the new satellites and the new and the new and the new um, telescopes and the X-ray telescopes that are in the sky, we are plumbing mysteries we had no idea. New maps of our galaxy are appearing that show things in x-ray that we didn't even know were there and monumental events. And every time I watch it, I think, oh, that's you, isn't it, Jesus? You did that. You're even greater than we thought. When you told Abraham to look at the sky and count the stars, he, he, all he could look at was, was, was from the surface of this earth. And we, we can look further. We can have more joy than Abraham had. There is an invitation to your imagination and your mind to grow your faith and to grow your worship. Uh, ask God to grow your worship for you like this. Ex to exalt Christ. Not only will exalting Christ help you understand the Bible better <laughs> as an interpretive principle, 
it'll help you understand your life better. And it will lead you into the places of worship that you yearn to be. Don't you yearn to be free in adoring Christ again? Don't you want to be free to do that? I invite you into it. This, we are begin the endless adventure that will that will continue into glory. Now, this is all kind of grand and exalted. You know, I, I love to, I, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to always get Jesus bigger in our minds and our imaginations and our understanding of the scripture. And, and then the Bible's infallibility and authority claims these things and exalts Christ. But I want to get a little more down to, down to earth right now, down practical. Just something I need today. So what do I need? I need something right now. I, I don't even want this much abstraction. I need something a little more concrete. Because the Bible's authority and infallibility seals the promise of his love. What I'm claiming there is that because it, it's, that's what it claims. That's what that that's what it that's what the for God so loved the world. We can know that we are the disciple who Jesus loved. Now, the disciple who's bearing witness in verse 24, and he refers again and again to the disciple that Jesus loved. And we know this is the, the, the tradition is this is John, John the Apostle. And there's a number of reasons we know that. We can tell from how John lists the apostles. And, and he, he constantly camouflages himself. He constantly hides. And there's a beautiful humility and grace in him. That he, he, he almost, he doesn't want to be the center of attention. And fe- but he does get, but then in a weird way, he gives himself a greater name than the name John. The disciple that Jesus loved. It's almost to say that that's just the way he always thought of himself. I know some people try to be clever about how John remains anonymous. There's some part of me that just thinks that that's just the way he always talked about himself. And that I probably, I mean, I can imagine that, that this guy was crazy. He was so in love with God. I can imagine he met people. He meet Tower, meet me. He goes, hey, guess you know what? Hey, my, my name is, I'm the guy that Jesus loved. That's just, that was his identity. <laughs> That's how in love with Jesus he was. That's how convinced he was. Because being an eyewitness of the exalted Christ, oh my goodness. Hold to his witness, guys. Grab his witness as your own. But get this. Get this. I remember when I was a kid and read this. I remember thinking, I want to be that person. Because it sounds like there could only be one person that Jesus loved like that. Like it sound, it's like it's the. It's, it seems very singular right there, right? The disciple that Jesus loved. What about me? You say. And he's also the disciple who's bearing witness, right here. But don't you get it? It took me a long time to get it. John isn't saying that he is the only one who can t- grab that title. He's just saying he grabbed it. Why don't you? Because you see, the authority and fallibility of the scripture is not merely meant to be a lofty argument, or not merely meant to be some way to exalt Christ to get him bigger, not merely inform our theology, not merely give us faith that can walk with confidence, but it's meant to do this one thing, that when you feel invisible and alone and feel like everything's against you, you can know that you're the, you're the disciple that Jesus loved. You see, it's infallibility and authority is is a comfort to the suffering, to the isolated, to the fearful, to the despairing. Do you see? You know, I, uh, 
the, 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 this is so precious to me. I, I, it's funny, I, um, the infallibility and authority of the Bible. Did you read about the, the painting that sold this, this week, the, 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 people, the people thing? I don't know if you heard about this, but it was a JPEG. Uh, a JPEG's like, here it is. I, I got a picture of it right here. This thing, this picture right here. Um, I got it for free, but somebody paid $69 million for this right here, for the JPEG of it, because it had an NFT. And, and, and an NFT is, a, is created by a blockchain, which creates a unique signature that can't be, can't be, can't be counterfeited. And so the original JPEG picture of this written by Beeple, this artist, I think it's Mike Winkleman is his name. Uh, and this is actually a collage of 5,000 days of art every day. And it's actually, the art's really cool if you take a look at it. It's, it's, some of it's really wonderful and, and fun and, and uh, social criticism and all sorts of things like that. Well, he makes this collage and, and, and he, sell, he sold it this week for $69, $69 million for a JPEG file. Just because it had the NFT, the non-fungible token, the guarantee even though I have a copy of it sitting here in front of you right now, it ain't his copy because he's got that one copy. That's what the Bible is for us. And that's what it's in, infallibility and authority and inerrancy and purity that's constantly claims is meant to deliver to you. It's, it's that you, you, you have a non-fungible token in Christ now that he loves you. Can't be fungible. Can't be, can't be messed around. You are the apple. Of his eye. I, I, the apple, this says used three times in the Bible. Deuteronomy, it's used to describe the whole nation of Israel as the apple of his eye. Care, he found him in a desert land, a howling waste of the wilderness. He encircled him and cared for him. God did that for Israel. He kept him as the apple of his eye. You fast forward about uh, 800 years, and then you've got David. And David here, no, 400 years. And, and David here, is uh, he claims this now? Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow. This idea of being hidden and cared for. But this, but what comes out here is claiming and living as God's favorite, the disciple that Jesus loved. Right, and then again in Zechariah, this is really cool. Uh, for thus says the Almighty, I am. For after His glory sent me to the nations who plunder you. For he who touches you touches the app. This is how this is how righteously jealous and protective he is. Touching the app. Now, what is this in the Hebrew? This is really kind of cool. In Hebrew, the, the, I thought I thought I figured that this was an idiom from Hebrew. I just always figured that it's actually in English. It's an it's an English idiom. Apple of his eye. In Hebrew, it actually reads, "You are the pupil of his eye." All right, get that. And that's really remarkable to me because it's like saying there's nowhere God can look that he doesn't see you where you are right now. Every one of you and every one of us can live and claim this kind of central, central attention of an infinite, eternal, exalted, loving, resurrected Jesus and his eyes on you. Remember that song, his eyes on the sparrow? His eyes on you. The pute. You are the center of his eye. There's nowhere he can look in the universe without seeing you and who you are and what's going on with you. You are his favorite. <laughs> and there's an invitation here to take 
the teaching and the certainty and the, and the assurances I'm giving you about the eyewitness accounts and, and the interpretive possibilities of how the Bible expands and exalts the glories of Christ. And all that is to serve this one idea, my dear children, my dear brothers and sisters. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you so intently and desperately and completely and fully and in focus. <laughs> you are the apple of his eye. You are the pupil of his eyeball. Uh, I asked Jack if there was a uh, if there was a Chinese version of this, and he said, "Yeah, you are the treasure of his liver." <laughs> I don't care how you put it; it doesn't matter because it transcends every culture, right? There's probably an expression in Norwegian for it, too. I mean, it's just this idea of something being the most precious, and that is you and me. And so we come full circle that this, that, you know, that the attempts to, 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 to debunk, to hit the anvil, have failed. Praise him, they have failed. And the attempts to, and, 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 and the glories with which the Bible opens up the exalts Christ, praise him. If he exalts Christ in your mind and imagination, as you read the scriptures and look at the look at nature. But all of that is to serve this. That you and I are loved so fully, so completely, with so much power, tenderness, breadth, eternity, and passion. We are the very center of his attention today. I want to close with this. I uh, uh I remember uh it was Carter said this. Um, uh, Carter Kennedy is a good friend of mine, a good friend of a number of people in our community, and uh, who have known him. He's preached for us before. And I remember we were sitting there talking one time. And he looked at me. He's like, "Chris, you know, do you think it's weird that I think I'm God's favorite?" <laughs> I started laughing. You know, why I started laughing because I always think that about myself. I'm always like, "No, I'm God's favorite," <laughs> because no, I'm pretty sure I am. And I'm like, no, I'm pretty sure I am. <laughs> and But isn't that a possession of every child of God? To say that, to claim that, to live in that, to, to grab that, to boast in that, to be that narcissistic, if, if you want to call it that. Because that, to me, is a blessed narcissism from the Holy Spirit then. If I know that the love of God is a personal attention to me and who I am. And I'll praise God that he did that work in Carter. I praise God for him doing that work in me. And I'll praise him today. I'll praise him now as he's doing that work in you. And if he does it for you today, by bringing you into his li into eternal life, I'll praise him even more. Let's pray. Dearest Father, I thank you for your word. <laughs> I thank you that it's authority and infallibility guaranteed to us, uh, guaranteed by eyewitness account. It's just such a great place to stand. I mean, it's not shaky ground. It's solid ground. It's real ground. And intellectual, intellectually, we can be honest with ourselves and be like, yeah, this is a good reason to, good reason to believe these things. Even knowing that you're the one who gives us belief. You're the Holy Spirit, the one who reveals to us Jesus. We ask now that you would give us that new boldness and confidence to walk by faith, to leap into you. If there's anybody today uh, who hasn't yet uh, know, doesn't yet know you that way, I pray they would leap into you with their eyes wide open today and into the witness because of this witness from John. 
Father, I pray that you'd be doing that work in our hearts and our imaginations and our minds of exalting Jesus. You bring us back again and again to the Bible to see how it exalts Jesus and, and teach us how to exalt Jesus and our minds and our imaginations to get him so great. And then once we've got him that great, Father, will you give us the, the tender knowledge that all that greatness has got its eye on us. And we are the center of his heart and love and attention. And we thank you and praise you that we are a bunch of favorites. Because you're the eternal God, we can all be your favorite. And none is diminished. Not one mouth of your love is diminished in it. Give us eyes that see, ears that hear, hearts that leap, <laughs> feet that obey, hands that serve, because we know you, and this truth is in us. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.